Please turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. About three weeks ago, I preached a sermon here called Deliberate and Intentional. And that is the direction we're moving as a church. To be deliberate and intentional in our life for the gospel, in our pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliberate and intentional discipleship. Not adding Jesus to our lives, but losing our lives to Jesus. There's a big difference, brothers and sisters. Deliberately and intentionally taking every breath for Jesus instead of ourselves. Deliberately and intentionally communicating to a world around us, not waiting for someone to communicate to us. You know, there's an entire industry of advertising that is deliberately and intentionally trying to get you to buy all of its products. It puts its pictures everywhere, its music everywhere, on billboards and signs, on radio and in TV. It's deliberately and intentionally trying to reach you. And you have an enemy that is deliberately and intentionally trying to devour you. So how can the church not be deliberate and intentional in what its purpose is in Christ Jesus? And so this morning I want to share with you as leaders, because if we're deliberately and intentionally discipling, following after Jesus Christ, then we've all become leaders. Because you have now been brought into the ministry of discipleship. And as you're being discipled, it is your responsibility to disciple others. It is not an option by following Jesus Christ. As soon as you got saved, you became a leader and a discipler to the nations. No small task. Isn't that something? As soon as you got saved, he said, now go to the nations and teach them all. One person in this place that got saved is responsible to save the world through Jesus Christ. How about that? Do you think God can do that? Yeah, you can't, but He can through you, most certainly. And every one of us is now in the realm of leadership and ministry, and I am deliberately and intentionally going to speak to you as leaders and teach you how to become disciples yourself so that you will lead your home, lead your marriage, lead your children, lead at work, lead in your neighborhood, lead in fun and in play and wherever you are. You'll deliberately and intentionally lead people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so I want to bring to you the ministry of leadership. And God has designed leadership in His church. And He describes it through two forms of structure. And that is ecclesiastic structure and gift structure. And we're going to talk about that this morning in the fivefold ministry. Now there's a great debate raging right now about fivefold ministry versus uh, traditional ministry. And uh, we have those who say that God is doing a new thing, that God is raising up apostles and prophets, and that there's a new fivefold ministry. Ain't nothing new about it. <laughs> the fivefold ministry has been ministering and operating in the church since the apostles. Unfortunately, the church has been uh, leaving it in the closet. And not touching it 
for many, many centuries. And so we have man's government running the church. And when man's government runs the church, it becomes very ecclesiastic and religiously based and structured under men's designs instead of God's life-giving power. And so those who are under the structure of, of authority and law, if you will, uh, ecclesiastic order does not have to be that way, by the way. But those who are following the traditions of men's structures in the church rant against this idea that there's a new five-fold ministry coming. The reasons it's new is because, like I said, it's been dead for so long in the water that they think it's new. It's not new. Okay? In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to what? Build my church. And he set in motion the structure of how he's going to build it. And the fivefold ministry is within the structure and the plan of how Jesus is going to build his church. If you build it without the fivefold ministry, it's, got, it's not going to look like Jesus, and I'm going to show you why. You've got to have a fivefold ministry in place in order for your church to look like Jesus. And I'll explain that as we read the scripture. Now, there are some folks who, who with the apostle and prophet movement, because everybody basically accepts evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but men's structures don't like apostles and prophets because they don't want to lose their authority structure. But God ordained apostles and prophets in the church. And when we look at one of the oldest teachings, the teaching of the 12 apostles to the Gentiles called the Didache, written in about 90 A.D., it's the instruction of the apostles written by their students. And I would encourage you to read it. You can get it free online. It's called the Didache. Uh, and uh, within it, it gives uh, instructions on how to treat apostles, prophets, and evangelists and teachers. So the early church understood the roles of these offices. Critics of the offices say this, that the office of apostle and prophet would naturally cease in the church once their role of equipping the saints was completed. That is, once the New Testament canon was completed. Well, I don't know about you, but we got a Bible and a New Testament canon. But I still think that we need to equip the saints. And just having the Bible is not enough. We need the gifts of the Spirit that God gives so that Jesus can build his church. And so, let's go into this study uh, and understand that even though we have the Bible, we still need leadership. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Oops, my bad. There we go. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It was he, that being Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And here is why. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until. Okay, that's a very important word. Until. All right, so this building up that is to be done by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is going to continue until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure, measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Did we do that by the time of the Council of Nicene? In the 300. Did, did we attain the full stature of Christ by that time? Because that's when you know, we got to the place where we've compiled the New Testament canon and it's been established as to what it would be. Well, then we arrived at the full stature of Christ. No. This verse says that these offices and giftings of the Lord, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers, is given to prepare or equip God's people for service so that the body of Christ will be built up until we reach maturity and the full stature of Christ. You see, that's why we still need them, so that we can attain that mature stature. And what he's basically saying is using an analogy of to when the child grows up to be a man. When the body of Christ looks and acts like Jesus himself. That's the full measure of Christ, the full stature of Christ. So that the church looks and acts like Jesus. That's the whole purpose here. In fact, it was predestined from the beginning of time that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans says. And that's the process we are all in. We are all being conformed to the image of Christ so that collectively we look like Jesus. Amen? And I believe we still need that five-fold ministry to accomplish that. That's why I say, brothers and sisters, if it's not operating in the church, we're not going to look like Jesus because it's that ministry that shapes Jesus in us. Does that make sense to you? Now, I happen to believe that there have been apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers throughout all of church history. Uh, they may not have had those titles, but they acted in those gifts. You don't need the name on it to be acting in it. How many of you know that? Right? Some of you are acting as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, but you don't have that title. But you have that gifting. There were bishops in certain churches that were acting as apostles and prophets. Pastors who were acting as evangelists. and so See, it's been working all along, uh, but a lot of times, unless we put our stamp on it, we don't think it's there. Well, it's been there. And Jesus said that this thing is going to cause his church to grow into the full stature of Christ. Verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a part in this work, brothers and sisters. We are all in the body of Christ, and we are progressively being changed into the image of Jesus. From glory to glory, or with ever-increasing glory, through the giftings and move of the Spirit in our midst, we are being changed into Jesus' image. Now, what's happened is the church for many times, many places, has been run like a business. The church is not a business. There's oftentimes I refer to the body as a corporate body. That has nothing to do with business. The word corporate doesn't mean business. Corporate means collective group of people. But unfortunately, many bodies of Christ run like a corporation with CEOs and, and this kind of a, with boards that make decisions to do this and to do that and to do this. And, and what happens after a while is when we run the church like a business, we don't have room to run it like a body. 
The church should run like a body, not a business. Amen? And, and we leave the Holy Spirit out. We have configured it as an organization instead of an organism. And this thing is the body of Christ that Jesus is actively, purposely, intentionally growing and shaping and shifting. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit delights in messing with the church. I think sometimes he'll pull the plug on the power or or mess up some computer so we don't know what to do. Our organization has been shut down. He says, good, become an organism and listen to what I'm telling you to do. Stop your activities and move with me in a glorious dance. It's organic, it's alive, it's dynamic in Jesus. Now, let me take you to some scriptures that uh, thrill me this morning for kingdom growth. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4, please. Mark chapter 4, verse... uh, Where will we start? Let's see. uh, Let's start at 26. Yeah, Mark 4, 26. The parable of a growing seed. Mark 4, 26. Jesus said... This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Hmm. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts his sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, what I want you to see is the Greek word for all by itself. The Greek word for all by itself is the word automate. We get the word what? Automatic. Automatic. Isn't it interesting that the man does the labor, he casts the seed and everything, and it says day or night, whether he's up or sleeping or whatever, he doesn't know how it takes place, but it grows all by itself. We need to understand that Jesus is building his church, and he's doing it through us. He's asked us to participate, but the growth comes from Jesus. The growth must come from Jesus. Now, you're not going to get growth if you don't put seed. And, and, and it'll get choked off by the weeds if you don't tend the garden. So there is our activity, and you have to water it. We understand that, yes. And you have to harvest it. We get that. But in the mix of all of that is the all by itself, the dynamic, active miracle of growth that is the spirit of life that is God. Despite our best efforts and our worst efforts, we're growing in Christ. Thank God. Amen? That's the power of the Spirit. This church is going to grow unless we do something to deter that growth. Because the dynamic life of the Spirit is going to cause it to grow. All right? And I'm not talking about trying to pursue uh, church growth charts and schemes and patterns and all that. I want a dynamic body growth by the church actively responding to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we can get programs in here to double and triple the size of this congregation if I stop being deliberate and intentional about discipleship. 
But if we change things, we can get a lot more people here. No, I don't want that. We want kingdom growth. We want people to come into a knowledge of Christ and go deeper. And it's a miraculous thing that God does. You must leave room for God to do this. So whenever you write your sermon or put out your chart or, or list your economics or, or, or uh, 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 your plans, put a big gap in the middle for God to do something. Write it all in pencil. So there's all by itself, there's something happening in the God realm. And I believe there's something happening in us as a church in the God realm. Now, secondly, because there's intrinsic value in the power of that thing. The master replied, I'm going to share with you just very quickly from Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Remember, one man was given ten talents, one man was given five talents, one man was given one talent. The man with ten went out, multiplied it, doubled it. The one with five went out, multiplied, doubled it. The man with one buried it in the ground. And God's response, Jesus' response was this, was this uh, well, then you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with what? Interest. What that statement says is the talents that God uh, gave to that man had intrinsic value that all by itself it could have produced interest or increase. The Holy Spirit in you all by itself is producing life. He will produce life out of you as a believer. You can't help it. You can deter it and everything, but it's going to still produce and it's still going to work because it has life. The spirit of life is in you. Whether you doubt it, whether you sin against it, it shall produce life. Maybe small amounts because you keep getting in the way, but it will not cease because of its intrinsic power. Now, all by itself, let's go on. One more point to prove to you. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, you remember this verse, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God makes things grow. Does that make sense to you? Did I prove my point? That the growth in the church and the maturity of the church is done by God's work. By God's design. If we negate the design for growth, we will not mature and grow, though each church does little by little. But imagine if we would plant seed in good soil and water it as you're supposed to and weed it and tend to it, the harvest would be great, wouldn't it? So Jesus said, I will build my church. And he said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Now, Hades is the place of the dead. We often use that verse as hell or Satan. And the gates of Satan will not move against it. That's actually not the right translation of that. Satan's already been defeated at the cross, disarmed and totally defeated. We act as if we've got we've to push Satan back because he's taking the way. No, it's what he's actually saying is, I will build my church and the gates of death will not overcome it. Life, life is going to grow. 
My kingdom is going to expand over all the earth. Did you know that Jesus' plan was to evangelize and take over the entire earth and bring all the earth under his authority? Did you know that? Because a lot of Christians don't know that. A lot of Christians think we have to suffer through, put up with this life till we're out of here. Jesus had a deliberate and intentional plan to consume this world with the gospel, dominate it with the gospel, so that his church would bring the entire nations unto his feet. How about that? Deliberate and intentional. And the plan he had to do this, because there was power intrinsically in the gospel to make it happen, is through the fivefold ministry to cause the church to grow into the full stature of Christ, which is empowered to take over the world. Mm. We don't need swords. We don't need guns. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We're not going to try and do it by, by a physical force. It's by the Spirit, says the Lord. It is a power of love that's going to dominate this world. And by the way, it is going to happen. We forget that too. We, we think that Antichrist coming and the world's going to be destroyed and evil. And another, I'm sorry, that's not the end of the story. Jesus comes right on time. And he is going to consume this world with his kingdom and for his purposes, and we're a part of that. This will get done, by the way. Okay, you're on the winning team. Hallelujah. Now, let's take a look at this. There is leadership in the body of Christ to cause this to take place so that we will grow and dominate not only in this church, in this city, but in this state and in the nation and in the world. That's God's plan. We need to get on board with it. So the fivefold gifts are actually the DNA that shapes us to look like Jesus. Each of you has a DNA code in you, do you not? Very unique DNA code, okay? And that DNA code makes you look like you. So what did God give the body in order to make the body look like Jesus? The fivefold ministry. We just read it. What is the purpose of the fivefold ministry? To equip us for works of service so that we will grow up into the full stature and image of Jesus. It's the DNA that makes us look like Jesus. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is the very DNA of Jesus to make us look like Jesus. This isn't rocket science. It's medical science. Okay? So I... Uh, is everybody with me? You're really excited this morning. I can tell. Okay. So, follow me. This is DNA, brothers and sisters. This fivefold ministry is going to shape us to look like Jesus, and therefore it's within us. Everybody that's saved has this DNA in you. And you're going to gravitate towards the apostolic or the evangelist or the prophet or the pastor and the teacher. It's the DNA within you as a spirit being, being shaped and formed into Christ Jesus. There will be some who move in that direction, some who move in this direction, and some who move in that in another. Now, we're, we're not talking. See, what we'll immediately do is we'll go into men's structures dynamically and we'll say their offices, there's one apostle, there's one prophet, there's one evangelist, one pastor, one teacher. And I'm not. 
And, and see, it's not that way. Organically, it's, it's moving in that way, and there is maturity in those giftings, and yes, there will be leadership and authority, but you will notice that within your own DNA, you'll begin to gravitate towards one of those main pillars of who Christ is. Jesus is the apostle. He is the prophet. He is the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, is he not? And in him, in that structure, is the DNA of the church, and in that is the people, and each one of us resonate with one of those areas. And it is through that ministry of the Spirit that we're going to grow into the image of Christ. Now, with that, we have structural leadership. You need to have that. Any garden needs to have some fencing or some stakes or some posts so that things are moving and flowing in the right direction. God did ordain ecclesiastical leadership. And ecclesiastical leadership will operate within the DNA of those five gifts, not separate from. And that's where the debate comes in. That's where those hardline, old-school guys, traditional religious people say, I don't know about this apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm a bishop or I'm a pastor, that's it. It's like, come on, man. These get, uh, you I don't even have to go there. I explained it to you. It's in the Word of God. All right, so, but yet there is ecclesiastical structure that God ordained. Problem is, men have it go to their heads. All right, there are specific offices, or the office of elder is a presbyter, okay? And there is within the church the elders. You remember Paul told Timothy to select elders in every city he went to for the organization of the church. And if you'll remember also that within those structure of elders, there are ruling elders and teaching elders that we call pastors, shepherds. And they pastor. And that we're fine with the fivefold there, aren't we? And isn't it interesting that Peter, Paul, and all the apostles came to Jerusalem and submitted to James the elder, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Okay? So you have this structural accountability. So we have elders. Then you have, as the church organism grows, you need overseers of the elders who oversee. And those are episcopus. Those are the bishops. And within that realm as well, you have the diakonos or the deacons. These are ordained, structured roles within the church to give it structure and foundation. But the fivefold ministry, the very DNA of Jesus, can't be absent from any of them. Within the deacon ministry, you're going to see those who gravitate towards apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, because it's the DNA of Jesus. And it will flow in the deacons, it'll flow in the elders, it'll flow in the bishops, it'll flow in anybody in the church. And we have to walk that out till, the, till your full stature develops. Amen? Give me a better one. Uh, yeah. Thank you! Now, we want to attain the full stature, so the DNA of Jesus is to replicate Jesus in our midst. Jesus' nature is that fivefold ministry. Now, what has happened is the church began to move in such an ecclesiastic structure that the DNA of Jesus was taken out and a corporate or, or business arrangement was established in the church. And there became the, 
the uh, uh, ecclesiastic order and the um, laity. And there was, a, there was a division between it. And that was never the body of Christ. Jesus' body is not separated between laity and clergy. It doesn't exist in the New Testament. The offices do. But guess who fills the offices? The body of Christ. Every, anybody and everybody, okay? So, so yes, there is structure and authority, but not to the place where the DNA of the fivefold ministry is vanquished. What's happened is the church then becomes a consumer instead of a producer. We become spectators instead of those who live and move in the gifting of the fivefold ministry. And so we have a platform Christianity where all ministry comes from the guys on the platform. And you're not responsible for any of it. Dare I say that the fivefold ministry is diametrically opposed to that? Because the fivefold ministry is not here to perform for you, the fivefold ministry is here to get you to do the work of the ministry, to get you to perform and to develop it. But how? How? And here's where it fell back into religion. The fivefold ministry, if some accept it, then moves into another structured leadership role where he's, a past, he's an apostle, he's a prophet, he's an evangelist, he's a pastor, he's a teacher. So he does all the apostling uh, work of an apostle. He does all the prophesying as the prophet. He does all the evangelizing because he's an evangelist. He does all the pastoring because he's a pastor. He does all the teaching because he's a teacher, and I don't. And we've moved right back into the old dynamic with new words. And that's not it. We've missed it. Because here's the DNA. You're to be equipped. Instead of equipping God's people for the ministry, they perform it in front of them. That's wrong. Instead of teaching them how to teach, they just teach. Instead of equipping evangelists themselves, the evangelists evangelize. Instead of training people how to prophesy, they do all the prophesying. Instead of teaching people how to be apostles, they do all the apostolic work. And we've failed in what's supposed to be happening. The fivefold ministry, as an apostle, you should be teaching apostles how to be apostles. Instead of taking your title and doing that. The evangelist isn't just the guy who goes out and evangelizes. He produces out of his DNA evangelists. The pastor produces out of his DNA pastors. And as this process is happening in the church, deliberately and intentionally, we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers being formed in our midst, so much so that they begin discipling others in that same gifting. That's how God plans to take over the world. Scary talk, isn't it? There's all sorts of people who talk about taking over the world. Somebody has to. May I say that? There's a lot of people that just peace, love, and understanding, man. Can we all just get along? No, we can't, and someone's going to take over. So who is it? The one who does know peace, love, and understanding, Jesus Christ and the Christians. Don't back down from that. You know? Well, Muslims say they're going to take over the world. Yeah, and they're very well organized, right? The gay agenda says it's going to take over the world. Yes, and they're incredibly organized. Yeah. 
And so politicians are going to take over the world. I, I mean, different world leaders want to dominate the world. And where's the church? We just want you to be happy. Peace. We do want you to be happy, but someone's got to lead. Jesus planned on the church doing that. And so this five-fold ministry is going to develop this kind of leadership. It's a unified call. Now, since we understand that, let me help you understand this five-fold ministry. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard this uh, at different times uh, by different teachers and folks. So let's take a look at the five-fold ministry. Now, here's the best way to explain these offices quickly. And as we go through this now, uh, I want you to begin to search your spirit and see where it begins to resonate in you. And so that you'll begin to understand I think I'm flowing in that direction. You'll, some of you may find two or three different areas that you're flowing into. That's fine. But I want you to know the DNA that is, that is at work in you to develop you. We look at the apostle. And the apostle is typically the thumb. Because the thumb's the only digit that can touch all the other ministries. Okay? And so the apostle typically is the thumb. Now, when we say apostle, we do understand, and you must understand this, that we are not talking about the apostles that established the foundation of the New Testament. The apostles had specific requirements uh, that they must have been in Jesus' ministry for three years and saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And they established the apostles' doctrine by which the rest of the church is built on its foundation. Those apostles, in fact, will have their names written in the New Jerusalem. So they are a very unique order of apostolic apostles. But that didn't finish the work of apostles. Because in the New Testament, you see a number of people listed as apostles. And though they are not the founding apostles... But there is the office and gifting of apostle. And so that's typically that thumb, the one that touches all the other gifts. And uh, we'll look into its uh, meaning of it. It's able to reach, and it's a foundational gift, and it flows to other ministries. Now, then you have the prophet, which is the index finger, and it points the way. Prophets point the way to the heart of the matter. Where there's no vision, the people perish. A prophet seeks the will of God and the direction of God and points and proves and directs. And so you have the apostle who's foundational to aid all the other gifts and ministries and uh, apostolic to go first. Uh, You have the pointer finger, the prophet who goes. Then you have the evangelist, which is the largest finger. And it's because it reaches out the farthest. The evangelist is always looking for someone new to share the gospel with, to invite people into the kingdom and reach out to others. The next finger is the ring finger, which is the bride's finger. You wear your wedding band on that. And it prepares the bride. He's married to the flock and he cares for the sheep. And that's the pastoral finger. And, and uh, last of all, you have the little finger. We call that teacher. And uh, the reason we call it the little finger, because it's the smallest finger which can get into your ear and clean it out whenever you need to. (laughs) Fits in your ear because you know that the teacher instructs and cleanses the church with a good word, a true word from the Lord. So, just to put it in another way to help you, we have the church as a people 
and uh, the apostle is, is, let's say, two miles up the road because he's seeing uh, his vantage point of where the church needs to be going, what God is saying, and he's close enough to the church to instruct her and, and bear that word and keep an eye on all things. Then you have the prophet, who's, he's about five miles out. He's, he's out there looking ahead. And most people who move towards that prophetic bent are out there about five miles ahead. That was a joke, okay? But typically... They're out there seeing and sensing and knowing what the the move and the flow, what's coming towards the church, what's coming our way, but they set themselves out there. But the prophet is out there, and the apostle keeps his eye on the prophet, but also on the church and everything in sight. Then you have the evangelist. He is moving in the churches, and he's coming because he comes with a word that slices and dices. He comes with a word from the Lord that penetrates and pierces into people's hearts to cause a shaking and a stirring for people to respond. Then you have the pastor who shepherds the flock, who tends for them. After the evangelist has cut them all up, he tends to their wounds and says, look, it's going to be all right. You need to do this. You need to do that. We're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And he cares and shepherds them. And then you have the teacher who keeps an eye on the doctrine and wants to make sure that the word is sound and instructs people in the knowledge of the word of God. And with this, you see an equipping for God's church to move forward at all times, to be aware of what's around them, beside them, to have apostolic covering, to know, yes, let's keep it moving. I've got intelligence from the prophet. And the evangelist brings that word and continues to pour gas into the vehicle and say, let's go, let's go. And the pastor's driving and says, sit down or I'll pull over and spank you. And the teacher is sitting there with the map saying, I told you to turn left, honey. And so all this is moving and driving the church. Without this, brothers and sisters, we're not vibrant and alive and being shaped into the image of Jesus. So now I would ask you, I gave everybody an outline, a a chart. Would you please turn to that chart this morning? And so I want you to take this home, and I want you to begin praying over it. Because I want you to realize that there is Jesus' DNA in you. In your spirit, man, the Spirit of God brought life to you. And within you is the DNA of Christ, and you're being shaped into the image of Christ. And any one of these five, or all five, whatever it is, is going to stir in you your type of directive. And the more you know this, the more you're going to understand which way you should move and go. And that is even apart from the gifts of the Spirit that you have. But this is the shaping of your directives. Let's just take a quick look, if we will. Can we take the time to do this? Okay, good. What is the Apostle's heart passion? If you look at the top there. And again... See if this fits for you. The heart passion of an apostle is for the whole of the church, the body of Christ as a whole. 
He's concerned with the body of Christ today. He's concerned with the body of Christ in America. What is the church universal doing? He sees the big picture. Are we on target with the apostles' doctrine, the original vision of Christ? That's his concern, the whole of the church. Some of you find yourself looking through newspapers, going on the internet, seeing what the church is doing in the United States. You love Barna. You love the polls. You want to understand where the church is at. This is an apostolic sense. The prophet, his heart passion is for inspiration and creativity. He just wants to hear God's heart on some matter. I need to know what God is feeling and sensing in this thing. The heart passion of an evangelist is save the lost. Save the lost. Get out there and witness for people. That's your heart passion. You're drawn to people all the time. In the supermarket, you just can't stop that heart beating. The pastor is for the people. You can't escape it. You're always wondering, are you okay? Is that all right? Is this fine? Do you need help with this? And so that pastor's heart is what's beating in him. And then the, the teacher is, is, is a passion for truth. I can't get enough. I read this book and I read that book and I'm studying this and I'm in the Word of God and I just learned this new thing. Have you learned it? Did you see this? And so there's this passion. That's the heart of each of these. Are any of you drawn to one or two or three of these areas? You find like, oh yeah, yeah, that's kind of like, that's where I'm at. You see, that's the DNA and that's the move that you need to continue to flow in and be energized in. Emotions. The apostle, now this is a generality, is not true all the way across the board, but only a generality. The emotions of an apostle, usually less emotional, more structured. Um, the, uh, again, generalities, doesn't have to be that way. The prophet, quite emotional, highs and lows. The evangelist, highly invigorated, intense. The pastor, very sensitive. The teacher, less emotional, more structural. And again, if you have a person who's very much a teacher, but is also apostolic, you're, that flows together emotionally pretty good, doesn't it? Anyways, we'll go on. Uh, judges others by their willingness to fit in. <laughs> then you know you're, you're leaning towards the apostolic. Why won't that person be a team player? We've got to get them to cooperate. Uh, the prophet judges others by their ability to experience or appreciate the flow and the creative move of God's Spirit. How come he doesn't have his hands up? How come he's not worshiping? How come he's not? That person may be so intent in, in, in praising and worshiping God, right? But, but that, that prophet's saying, I don't think he's worshiping God the way he needs to worship God. The evangelist is uh, judges others by their ability to influence them. Uh, and are you witnessing? Are you witnessing enough? Do you have enough bumper stickers on your car? Uh, <laughs> the pastor uh, judges others by the ability to be sensitive and concerned for people's needs. That's why they're all burned out. And then the teacher uh, judges others by their ability to discern and clearly express truth. <laughs> uh, I, I got slammed by the Lord with that one, and I'm really a teacher, and I love truth, and I love, and I, I remember doing some family devotions and talking to them about what they, we read a passage of scripture, and I was grilling them on, okay, now what did it say, and how many people were involved in that verse, and who is Peter, and what number of apostles were there? It's like, don't you want to know what that verse meant to me? No, I want to know what you know about it. And that's the teacher in me that was really 
crushing <laughs> my children who were much more in the realm of the prophetic and pastoral. Anyways, okay. You're influenced. Look at your influences. Look at the value to organization. What's the value of an apostle? He gets everyone working together as a team. He's a good troubleshooter. He's overseeing everything. The prophet's value is he gives creative expression, spiritual encounter, a sense of divine timing and destiny. The evangelist communicates and excites the people, motivating them. And uh, the value of a pastor ensures that everybody in the room is going to feel okay and move along with this and stop the fights. The teacher provides continuous, clear, concentrated teaching for everyone to get involved. I'll go to the bottom now. And the fears within an apostle is the loss of authority, the loss of structure, and the loss of organization. Why is that a fear to him? Because that cuts to the very heart of his calling. And so anything counter to that troubles him. For the prophet, it's not being able to capture the intuitive creative flow. Hmm? I can't hear from God. The heavens are brass. I, it doesn't seem like I'm penetrating. I'm, I'm not hearing God. I don't know what to do. That really upsets the prophetic. Those, the fear of the evangelist is not being able to convince and persuade, fully persuade people. People are not listening. They're not getting it. I can't win them over. I'm frustrated because they're not hearing the gospel. Last of all, the pastor, his fear is disunity, discord, brokenness, emotional destruction, separating, tearing the people. And last of all, the teacher not being able to pass on progress to the next generation. A teacher needs to teach. If no one's listening, he's frustrated. Now, I cover these areas, and we went a little long this morning, but we're here to disciple you. What are you leaning towards, brothers and sisters? Oh, I'm not any of those. I'm just a churchgoer. You've missed the point. You are not a churchgoer. If anybody here, I'm going to say something really radical. I like to do this, stir you up. If you're a churchgoer, Go to another church. Because you're not going to be happy because I'm going to intentionally and deliberately disciple you into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of places you can go and do nothing. But here I need you to begin to understand the DNA of Jesus in you. It's going to change your life forever. Every one of you is a leader. You might think, I don't have anything to lead. Yes, you do. You have these concerns. I know most all of you. And you have these concerns. You never thought of yourself in the realm of the apostolic, but you've got that DNA. You've seen it. You love the organization. You put your kitchen under apostolic authority. It's true. It, this all flows within everybody here. And instead of ignoring it, let's activate it and begin to use it. It's, ex it's exciting because this is the DNA of Jesus. And it's going to come alive in our midst. Now those of you, what's going to happen is this, is, this is where we can get rid of some frustration. Because you'll hear a sermon on evangelizing and saving the lost. And you're not an evangelist. You love being a teacher. Or you love being the apostolic. And, and we go, go out there and witness for everybody. And it's like, mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess I failed at that. You don't have to. What I'm telling you to do is go out and do what the DNA in you is resonating to do. 
and find that bent, if you will, and begin to flow in it, begin to move in it, and you're going to find excitement and rejoicing. Some of you are not teachers, but you do need the knowledge of the Word of God. Some of you are not prophetic, but yet you need the move of the Spirit in your life. We all need all five of these aspects, but you're going to glean and generate it in you in one of those directions. And so I encourage you this morning that God is shaping us to be the full stature and mature image of who He is. Let's all do our part in that work. Amen? Let's stand and bow our heads this morning.